0: Video starts at 13.50, intro. Of course it's absurd, it's as I suspected. but I must defend my name. No, you must do no such thing. On oh, my honor, I will, my lord, I must. I know you yearn to defend your name and your honor, but... The common mind has no capacity for this sort of nuance. It's, they simply don't understand the world as we do. These villains and heroes, that is all. My lord. Deny, deny, deny. All men are not equal in heart and spirit. From a short history of Christianity by J. M. Robertson. Taken individually, then, an average Christian of the second century was likely to be an unlettered person of the lower middle or poorer classes, living in a town, either bitterly averse to idols, theatres, the circus, and the public baths, or persuaded that he ought to be, utterly credulous as to demons and miracles incapable of criticism as to sacred books, neurotic or respectful towards neuroses, readily emotional towards the crucified God and the sacred mystery in which were given the body and blood, devoid alike of aesthetic and of philosophic faculty, without the thought of civic duty or political theory, much given to his ritual, capable of fanatical hatred and of personal malice, but either constitutionally sober and chaste or chronically anxious to be so, and in times of persecution exalted by the passion of self-sacrifice, perhaps then transiently attaining to the professed ideal of love towards enemies. But the effective bonds of union for the community, whether in peace or during persecution, were rather the ruling passion of hostility to pagan beliefs and usages, and the eager hope of salvation, than any enthusiasm of humanity social or even sectarian. and, as an orthodox ecclesiastic has remarked, we cannot even cursorily read the new testament without being astonished by the allusions so often made to immoral persons calling themselves christians. from a new model of the universe by p d uspensky. only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Initiation gave freedom from this gloom, gave a way of escape from the never-ending anguish of the abodes of the dead, gave a kind of life in death. This idea is expressed more clearly than anywhere else in the Easter hymn of the Orthodox Church, which undoubtedly comes from very remote pre-Christian antiquity and links the Christian idea with the idea of the mysteries. Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered death with death, and given life to those who were in tombs. There is a remarkable analogy between the content of the mysteries and the earthly life of Christ. The life of Christ, taken as we know it from the Gospels, represents the same mystery as those which were performed in Egypt on the island of Phile, in Greece at Eleusis, and in other places. First of all the idea of esotericism tells us of the knowledge which has been accumulated for tens of thousands of years and has been handed down from generation to generation within small circles of initiates, this knowledge often relates to spheres which have not even been touched upon by science. In order to acquire this knowledge, and also the power which it gives, a man must go through difficult preliminary preparations and tests and prolonged work without which it is impossible to assimilate this knowledge and to learn how to use it. This work for the mastery of esoteric knowledge, and the methods belonging to it, constitute by themselves a separate cycle of knowledge unknown to us. One and the same idea invariably runs through the teachings originated by these people, namely, the idea that only a very few can enter the esoteric circle, though many may desire to do so and may even make the attempt The esoteric schools which preserve ancient knowledge, handing it over from one to another in succession, and the people who belong to these schools stand apart, as it were, from ordinary mankind, to which we belong. According to the idea of esotericism, as applied to the history of mankind, no civilization ever begins of itself. There exists no evolution which begins accidentally and proceeds mechanically. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Civilization never starts by natural growth, but only through artificial cultivation. Esoteric schools are hidden from the eyes of ordinary humanity, but the influence of schools persists uninterruptedly in history, and has the aim, so far as we can understand this aim, of helping when that appears possible, races which have lapsed into a barbarous state of one kind or another to emerge from that state and to enter upon a new civilization, or a new life. A savage or semi-savage people or an entire country is taken in hand by a man possessing power and knowledge. He begins to educate and instruct the people. He gives them a religion, he makes laws, builds temples, introduces writing, creates the beginning of art and the sciences, makes the people migrate to another country if necessary, and so on. Theocratic government is a form of such artificial cultivation. Biblical history from Abraham, and possibly even earlier, to Solomon, is an example of the civilizing of a savage people by members of the inner circle from the Colbrin. The barbarian asks, Who and what is the Supreme Spirit? Say unto him, conceive it as a being even above your greatest god. If it helps in your understanding, see the supreme spirit as a god reflecting his image as yourself. The barbarian seeks a god he can see, but try and make him understand this is impossible. The barbarians are still children and these things do not easily come within. Because of this it may be best if they were taught by simple tales, like children, and so brought into the light gradually. A belief in the Supreme Spirit is of no great importance. An inquiry into his nature by the ignorant is purposeless foolishness. It is of much more importance to men that they believe in their own souls. Belief in a God of any sort without belief in the immortality of man and his godlikeness serves no end. If a God existed without man deriving any benefit from his existence, it would be better for man to ignore him. This, however, is not the case. Man seeks unity and communion with the Supreme Spirit only for his own benefit. Man has a destiny founded in something greater than himself, and hence his need for that something. The existence of a Supreme Being is not just something to accept, believe in and ignore. A belief, faith alone, cannot be ends in themselves, for nothing exists without purpose. Simple belief in a Supreme Being is not enough, we must know the purpose or intention of the being. If we believe this Supreme Being created us, however this was brought about, we must seek to discover the purpose behind our creation. If we were created to serve some purpose, to do something we were intended to do, we must do it or earn our Creator's displeasure. Does the potter keep the pot useless for its purpose, or the smith keep unwrought metal? Only things which serve the purpose for which they were intended are kept and cherished. Therefore, we who are brothers, were taught not only to believe in a supreme being but also in our similarity to him. The supreme spirit is not a stranger beyond our ken, the powers of the supreme spirit infuse every fiber of our bodies. For the sake of the barbarians it is perhaps best to call the supreme spirit, God, the God without a name. This will solve some difficulties, and if the barbarians think themselves superior because they contain him within a name, let it be so and hold yourself in peace. The barbarians make images of God to make him more understandable. Are we much better who make images of him in our likeness within our thoughts? Not perhaps because we believe him so, but to make him more understandable. As man's understanding of God increases, so does God recede, so that though through the ages man comes to understand God better, he ever keeps the same distance away. We who dwell in the light of the Supreme Spirit have come closer to understanding not because we are better men but because we have devoted our lives to the search, the mystics. If any man seek carefully and diligently enough he must find whatever it is he seeks. God is not a person, but the supreme spirit. They must also learn that the spirit is not something separate from man, or something within him. Man is spirit, man is soul. I am not born, nor will I ever die. I am Haru the Enlightened One, Haru the Twice Born. Having crossed the dark waters myself, I carry the others across. Being free from fear, I free others from fear. Being unrestricted, I ease the restriction of others. Knowing the way, I show it to others. Having trodden the road, I now guide others along it. I am an illuminated one, the open of ear, the keen of eye. I am one who knows the law, I am a keeper of ordinances. To obtain the gem the serpent must be aroused and then overcome. To rouse this serpent is a thing not to be lightly undertaken, for it causes a fire to mount into the heart, which may destroy the brain with delusions and madness. Only the twice-born can really obtain the gem. Then you pass through the portal to the Hall of Judgment. Here, for the first time, your light is revealed and it is made known whether your tongue has spoken in accordance with the things within your heart. Many are they who know the words of the tongue but sever these from what is written in the heart. If the words of the tongue are copied from the writings of the heart and are a true copy, then cross to the place of assessment where your true form and likeness will be displayed for all to see. A curtain of darkness descends, there is a heavy dark mist, then the muffled crash of thundering doors. The aching body reclines within the tomb of stone. The questing pilgrim has returned to his helmhaven. He has learned truths he could never learn on earth and now knows the grand secret. Faith is replaced with certainty and he is now an initiated one. He who sees his own self in all things and all things in his own self is awakened. He is beyond delusion and outside the reach of futile sorrow. Having arisen from the womb of rebirth, the spirit is completely freed from any doubt about the immortality of man. The truly awakened soul is beyond carnal lust and mortal grief. His love is alike for all my creation and thus he shows supreme love for me. If a man would know heaven, he must first know earth. Man cannot understand heaven until he understands earth. He cannot understand God until he understands himself, and he cannot know love unless he has been loveless. God is unknown but not unknowable. He is unseen but not unseeable. God is unheard but not unhearable. He is not understood but he is understandable. The people of those times spurned all spiritual things and men lived only for pleasure, caring little for the good of mankind or the future of the people. The goal of life is upstream, not downstream. Man must struggle against the current, not drift with the flow. From The Revolt Against Civilization, The Menace of the Underman by Lothrop Stoddard, it is this elite which leavens the group and initiates progress. From The Bow and the Club by Julius Savola. The last point to which I will allude in these short notes no longer pertains to the definition of the pure concept of initiation in itself, but rather to the connection between the level of initiation and that of mundane reality and history. Particularly in recent times the conception of the secret character of the quality of the initiate has prevailed. The following saying of a Sufi, Islamic initiate, could be cited, that I am a Sufi is a secret between me and God. The hermetic character of the initiate is clear, moreover, from the initiatory current from which this adjective is specifically derived alchemical hermeticism, one of the main currents in the post-Christian West. But if we go further back in time, a different possibility is also attested. If we focus our gaze on those civilizations which In an eminent sense, we may call traditional those civilizations which had an organic and sacred character and in which all activities were adequately ordered from top down at the center of such civilizations we often find, quite visibly, figures with features similar to those attributed to initiates. As this center is constituted by an immanent transcendence, so to speak, meaning a real presence of the non-human in the human which is expected of particular beings or elites, there is a corresponding form of spirituality which defines the initiate and distinguishes him from the priest, for example, because the priest, at best, is a mediator of the divine and the supernatural, but does not incorporate this element in himself through the character of centrality. The divine royalty at the origins of a great number of civilizations had precisely this metaphysical character. Jesus, Buddha, and Go, Void and Levels of Consciousness. Levels of Consciousness. You hear often in the New Age levels of consciousness, but it is not really that. Because when you are in non linearity, the person doesn't exist anymore. From transcending the levels of consciousness, The Stairway to Enlightenment, by David R. Hawkins, from level 700 on up, resistances that reside in the collective consciousness of mankind have to be transcended. This is physically subjectively comfortable until it reaches the consciousness level of approximately 800, at which time painful physical symptoms arise and the nervous system feels like it is carrying too much electricity, resulting in a burning feeling, Jesus Christ, sweat blood, and the Buddha remarked that his bones felt like they were being broken. Numerous symptoms have been reported in these previous writings and by various mystics throughout history. I am not sure that sweat blood and his bones felt like they were being broken are exactly the same process than the electricity thing. Because the electric character is really too characteristic in the enlightenment. Maybe it's the same thing described with others words, who knows. Anyway, yes, when you hear the saints screaming in this process, where they clearly ask for it to stop. That's it. Calling out to God but behind it is this call for help. Unlike ordinary physical symptoms or pains that can be handled by non-resistance, these burning electric sensations persist until the specific error in the collective unconscious is identified and voluntarily surrendered and cleared. I don't know about that, I know that these pains slash agonies endured, by periods, and for years, and each time the intensity is greater. You read also this in all sacred texts great avatars who calibrate at 1000, Christ, Buddha, Krishna, Zoroaster. There is a limit to what the body can bear, from 800 to 1000 it is borderline bearable. But beyond that, I think it's impossible, to live or survive, to be more precise. It's too much. The great teachers of history calibrated in this 1000, and historically they didn't stay long on earth. There is a kind of dissolution of the body, of the biology, which corresponds to a particular type of character, which decided to leave, of which this was already its last incarnation. But there is a dissolution of biology in the enlightenment, which is really not expressible in words. At very high levels, the subjective experiencing of existence is no longer limited by the narcissistic ego or the psychological blocks of the positionalities. This condition is the consequence of progressive surrendering at great depth of all limitations and belief systems. The requirement is the persistent one-pointedness of mind processing out of emotional slash mental residuals of lower consciousness levels and surrendering of all self-identities and mental belief systems. Decoded, it is that you are permanently observing yourself, and the fact that you have passed the barrier of the ego veil, of the mind dark night of the soul, facing yourself, and that you have already since months access to the direct knowledge, beyond the mental veil, you understand your reactions. Reactions, is here fundamental for you see yourself on the other side of the mirror, the why of all your reactions is revealed. You know why you do the things you do, you are on the other side of the mirror. The human being, and perhaps other organisms function on many levels. There are levels of functioning in a human body. Sometimes you react with your gut, that's the emotion. Sometimes you think, that's the mind. Sometimes you are inspired, that's the spirit. And so on. This is also how you control people, by forcing them to be in one level or another. Let's say you know the principle, then you can put yourself in the mental level, and use people by putting them in the emotional level, or even the level below. If you are in the spirit, you control people in the intellect. And so on. For example for this covid, they projected people the collective in fear, emotion under reason, which is borderline with the level below, of instinct to launch wars, they use also that, at the moment the deep state tries to relaunch a third world there for their own good. Except, that these idiots, who are not very intelligent, did not understand, that the population, or at least a sufficiently important part, woke up during the last months of propaganda. So, they try to push back to fear. But, this one, does not work anymore, because the event is too close to the previous one that doesn't mean they won't keep trying in other ways. This period of cleansing, to return to the book, is called, catharsis, hence the name of the cathars, and their hunting by the Christian exoteric church. This process is assisted and supported by the unimpeded inflow of the spiritual kundalini energy to the higher etheric spiritual bodies above the crown chakra. So it is said, hard to corroborate because the demonstrations are hard to evaluate it is possible as it is perhaps not. By surrender of all resistances, this powerful non-linear field becomes progressively dominant and eventually an all-encompassing presence. The way it's written, it sounds like two different people. It isn't, there is only one person. You cannot understand metaphysics with the mind. The essence of the mind is linear, it is an appeal to memories. Transcending Level 850 From the viewpoint of the intellect, the problematic duality encountered at consciousness level 850 may seem somewhat academic and therefore the province of metaphysics, theology, or ontology, but when the level is reached experientially, it is far more than that. It is a very major step with very major differences in the outcome because spiritual devotees who reach this level have often been influenced by misinterpretations of the teachings of the Buddha that misidentify the meaning of void and believe that the nothingness slash void is the ultimate state, which it decidedly is not, as determined by both consciousness calibration research and subjective experience. I even believed it myself. But, it is not true. Void is not the ultimate state. Let's say that this state is tempting. The more you go up in hierarchy of states, the more tempting the states are. The intellect is more tempting than the emotions. Spirit is more interesting than intellect and so on. So naturally the void is more tempting. The same. One wants to stay there, but like any state it is false. It is an identification. Even if in the void I is no longer formalized, it is an unformalized I that associates with the void. I would say to you, if you have understood the mechanics, stay in that state when the situation of life is too heavy. The same way you can switch to the spirit or the intellect. But stay just for a few seconds in the void, then come back to reality. The void is void, there's really nothing there. From the viewpoint of the intellect, the problematic duality encountered at consciousness level 850 may seem somewhat academic and therefore the province of metaphysics, theology, or ontology, but when the level is reached experientially, it is far more than that. It is a very major step with very major differences in the outcome because spiritual devotees who reach this level have often been influenced by misinterpretations of the teachings of the Buddha that misidentify the meaning of void and believe that the nothingness slash void is the ultimate state, which it decidedly is not, as determined by both consciousness calibration research and subjective experience. This is especially true at level 850 where the presenting limitation to be transcended is the conundrum of the seeming opposites slash alternatives of whether the ultimate reality is allness versus nothingness, or is existence versus non-existence. So, it's not explainable. Impossible to explain. The error that follows is the presumption that the transcendence of all form is the sole condition of Buddhahood. This is an easy mistake to make because experientially, the condition of the void is enormously impressive. As it unfolds, it is ineffable, infinite, timeless, oneness, all-encompassing, still, silent, unmoving, and strangely inclusive of the awareness of non-awareness that precludes even beingness or existence. This state is definitely and experientially, without question, beyond duality. It isn't as I said above, it is an unformalized I, not attached to the earthly reality, but it's always a game. There is neither subject nor object, there is nothing left to surrender and no one left to surrender, thus, it indeed seems to be the ultimate state of enlightenment itself. Again, the subject looks absent but if you pay attention, you see that it is still a you. Not you, AU. On the other hand, when you enter this state, you lose consciousness, it lasts a few moments, from milliseconds to seconds. There yes, there is no one, but when you come back conscious, you see that you. Another difficulty at that level is that there are no teachers with whom to consult, share, or reflect confirmation, much less instruction. This is the problem of western, modern, decadence, where all tradition has been driven out of the spectrum of society, by the cult of the exoterics. If the state of void, nothingness, were the ultimate reality, it would be a permanent condition, and there would be no entity to report it. However, it is not, and therefore, sooner or later, one leaves the void and returns to conscious existence. Next occurs the subjective experiential phenomenon of suddenly emerging into existence from the oblivion of the void. This is where duality begins. In this lifetime, the occurrence was at age three, as described elsewhere. Suddenly, out of nothingness and non-awareness, there was the shock of not only existence, but also the discovery of physicality and that a body accompanied the return from nothingness to beingness. I don't know. We are not conscious in the first months of life, this is recognized by everyone, even those stupid modern scientists. It is sure, that at some point the consciousness emerges from the being. The sense of duality starts. I appears. The baby who starts to serenade his mother a hundred, two hundred times a day, me me me. Thus, in this lifetime. The dilemma at calibration level 850 was initially presented strongly in early life, and it recurred later, at which time it was rejected and transcended. It took 38 years to resolve. It took me a little longer, a few more years lol. I'm not going to say too much about what happens next, because otherwise it will end up in the exoteric sect again calibration level 1000 is the ultimate state possible within the human domain, calibrates as true. Maybe a little more, at 1100 to 1250. But I doubt that the life of the one who arrives there is very long next, some years at most maybe. It literally burns, that's why the fire symbol. It's not pleasant at all. It is important to know that it is actually extremely rare for a human to be committed to spiritual truth to the degree of seriously seeking enlightenment, and those who do make the commitment do so because they are actually destined for enlightenment. At this time, spiritual evolution is proceeding at an ever exhilarating pace, and spiritual information never before available is now readily accessible. Enlightenment is not a condition to be obtained, it is merely a certainty to be surrendered to. Now, I've just lost all the religious of the exoteric cult. Eventually even the illusion of witnesses slash observer slash watcher dissolves into awareness slash consciousness itself, which is discovered to be non-personal and autonomous. All has been surrendered to God, and then the very last remnant of the self remains as the seeming source of life, the core of the ego itself, with the conviction that it is the author and primordial source of one's very life and existence. As this arises, so also does a knowingness that even this, too must be surrendered to God. This last barrier is signaled by a sudden burst of the last remaining fear, which is very strong and intense, the very basic fear of death. Fear of death. In the end it's always about that. The ego and everything else. It is surrender, which makes you climb the ladder. If you don't surrender, like the hamster you will go round and round like the new age people or the religious, which are one and the same people. Try to understand this principle, that it is fear that guides you, and that the levels are climbed in self abandonment. You won't move with the mind, the mind blocks to the metaphysical level. This is the problem of westerners who go around in circles, and do not understand metaphysics. As the agony, of death, dies away. There is an emergence into the revelation of the infinite glory of divinity. These modern idiots, who think that separating religion from the state was a good thing. Dead, dead westerners.